Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon, a nice, wet, rainy Wednesday afternoon. And we all welcome the blessing of the rain. Today is the 17th of Shvat, 17th day of the month of Shvat in the Hebrew calendar. And it's the Yotzant of Rabbi Chaim Palaji. Rabbi Chaim Palaji was born in 1788. He died in 1868. He was a prolific author who wrote 72 different sforim, different books on all aspects of Jewish observance and Jewish life, many of them um, in the area of Jewish mysticism of Kabbalah. He was a very renowned person, a very highly respected and regarded person. He was seen as a holy man in Turkey, and the Turkish government actually accorded him the honor that was only usually due to royalty. He lived uh, to over 80, which was quite rare in those days, in the 19th century. And when he was asked to what attributed his long life, he said that um, there were, uh, he, he listed 10 different things that actually do bring about longevity. And he emphasized the honoring of parents as being the main one and honoring one's parents, even when it's not uh, easy, even if they have... Uh, Mental infirmity, he said that is a guarantee from the Torah for a long life. So we remember today Rav Chaim Palaji on his Yotzat. I actually want to talk today about the Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim Rav Yisrael Mea Kagan HaKohen. The reason why I want to talk today about the Chavetz Chaim, there are a few reasons. One of them is that usually we take the opportunity to discuss great people in the history of Kal Yisrael and the history of the Jewish people. Um, when it's their Yotzeit, when it's the anniversary of the day of their death, and we pay tribute to them, we try to do it on the Yotzeit or close to the Yotzeit, which is a great honor to their soul. It lifts their soul in, in Shemaim and also is a great lesson to us of a life well lived, of people of substance, of people of holiness, of people who have accomplished great spiritual things in their lifetime in this world. The Chavetz Chaim's Yotzeit actually to this year is his 90th Yotzeit. Chavetz Chaim died in 1933 on the 24th of Elul. And um, he, since it's the 24th of Elul, his Yotzeit, so usually we're very much taken up with Rosh Hashanah. It's just a week before Rosh Hashanah. And we're always talking about Rosh Hashanah and the understanding of what Rosh Hashanah means and how we need to prepare ourselves men- mentally for the great and holy day on which we are all judged. So very often we overlook the Yotzad of the Chavetz Chaim and the life of the Chavetz Chaim, which is a great pity. And in fact now, um, we instead of focusing on the Yotzad of the Chavetz Chaim, we're going to focus on the birthday of the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim's birthday is Chavetz Teves, which is just two weeks ago. Um, he was born on the 26th January 1838, Chavetz Teves. And this year is 185 years since the birth of the Chavetz Chaim. So let's now take the time to discuss a little bit about this great and holy individual, most probably the holiest human being 
that's walked the earth in the last hundred years, in the last century. The reason why I now want to talk about it, because I've just listened to a wonderful series from Rabbi Wine. Rabbi Wine is my rabbi, Rabbi Beryl Wine. And he's uh, released a series called My Lithuania, in which he discusses his connection to Lithuania. Although he was born in Chicago, he's American, but his father, his father-in-law, his grandfather, his maternal grandfather on his mother's side, they were all individuals that um, grew up in Lithuania, they learned in Lithuania, and very much influenced his worldview and his understanding of life and of Judaism and of the role of a Jew in this world. And uh, therefore, he had a very strong connection to Lithuania, and uh, he describes these different connections, one of them being, of course, from his father-in-law. His father-in-law was uh, a holy Jew by the name of Rabbi Eliezer Levine, and his father-in-law was born in a small town in Lithuania. And there was a cholera epidemic in the town, Rahman al-Itzlan, and both of his parents died in the epidemic. And he was the youngest of 13 children. And at the age of 11, he was now an orphan, he didn't have parents. And one of his older sisters took him to the home of the Chofetz Chaim. And uh, so he, it was quite common in Europe in the time. Many of the smaller towns didn't have organizations and facilities to look after orphans. And so they would take the the orphans to the Rabonim of the town, and the Rabonim would then um, take care of the child and find a place for the child to live. Often the child would end up living in the home of, of the rabbi. And so one of his sisters took him to the home of Chofetz of all people, and he lived in the home of the Chofetz from the age of the 11 till the age of 15 when he then entered into the normal life of a bocha, of a young student in the Radin Yeshiva, in the Yeshiva of the town, the Chofetz Yeshiva. And so as a result of living with the Chofetz Rabbi Levine had great personal insights and stories about who the Chofetz Chaim was and about the life that he lived. And it's uh, very important to talk about the Chofetz Chaim because there are many, many books about him and there are many legends about the Chofetz Chaim. Chofetz Chaim was a person of incredible piety. In fact, they say about the Chofetz Chaim that the, his piety overshadowed his scholarship. And they say about Rav Chaim Ozegrzynski that his scholarship overshadowed his piety. The Chofetz Chaim, even though he was known as a very holy, kind, gentle um, person who cared greatly for other individuals, so often that was focused on. Um, but his scholarship and his knowledge and his tremendous um, ability as a Talmud Chochem was sometimes you know, overlooked because um, of his piety. Um, he wrote 23 Svarim, the Chofetz Chaim, I actually counted last night, and uh, many of them classic works. Um, he wrote the the great Mishnah Brura, which is the um, commentary of the Shulchan Aruch Orachaim. Um, you may have heard the Dilshu program, which is Dafa Yomi Ba'alocha, following one page a day in of Halocha, which is from the Sefer, the Mishnah Bura, which uh, I do each day and have a shear in Mashul. Um, then we have a number of people in our community that are, are part of the program, which is one a really an incredible program. You learn one page of Mishnah Bura every day. So the Mishnah Bura is a 
work of immense genius, of great scholarship of the Chovetz Chaim, in which he takes the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah, and he brings the Achronim, the other Achronim, and describes what we do today, and how this halacha actually applies to us today, and manifests in our daily activity, we really would be completely lost without the Mishnabura. And certainly Ashkenazi Jewry would, would be, uh, would be a far cry from where we are today if it weren't for this great work, the Mishnabura. That's one of the works, perhaps the magnus opus of the Chovetz Chaim. He also wrote Sefer Chovetz Chaim, so that's where he gets his name from. It was very common in, in Europe that people would be named after the Sefer that they wrote, the famous Sefer. He wrote it as a very young man. It's about the laws of Loshon Hara Sefer Chovetz Chaim, the laws of the prohibition of speaking in a derogatory way against others. And Sefer Shemir Saloshin is connected to that, which is the Hashkofa, which is the reasons why we shouldn't speak in a disparaging way about others. Chovetz Chaim said about himself, he writes in Sefer Chovetz Chaim, that um, it's been 40 years since he spoke Loshon Hara and 20 years since anybody spoke Loshon Hara to him. Isn't that an unbelievable thing? That's was his greatness and his level. So there are many legends about him, and in the most of the books that are written, you know, he's like uh, put on a pedestal, which is uh, they don't say legends like that about me. So there's a lot to be said about those legends, and they said about him because of the great man that he was. But I want to share with you some personal anecdotes of Rabbi Eliezer Levine, who lived in the home of Chovetz Chaim, and we get a bit of a picture of the person he was and of his values and his priorities. If you stay with us, we'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the great and holy Chobetz Chaim. We've just gone past the 185th birthday of the Chobetz Chaim in 1838. This year is the 90th Yotzat of the great and holy Chobetz Chaim. And we've mentioned how he was a, a not only a very pious, holy man, but also a great scholar, a great Talmud Chochem. And often that aspect was overlooked because of his piety. Um, he wrote 23 Sfarim, Sefer Chofetz Chaim, Sefer Mishnah Gura, um, Sefer Shem Oilam, which is an incredible Sefer about the importance of Shabbos and the importance of learning Torah, um, etc., etc. So Chofetz Chaim's greatness um, is is very much looked upon with a tremendous amount of of nostalgia, and also he he's just a sterling example of how to live life and how to achieve greatness in this world. Um, so as mentioned, we're going to discuss some personal anecdotes from the father-in-law of Rabbi Beryl Wine, Rabbi Eliezer Levine, who lived in the home of Chovetz Chaim um, for four years and knew him for many many years. So firstly, let's start out with. Uh, Rabbi Levine was once visiting his son-in-law, Rabbi Wan, in Miami. Rabbi Wan was a rabbi in Miami Beach for many years. And in his community, he had a person who was a very successful Jew, who had many hotels in Miami, but also was a part-time painter. And he liked to paint um, things with a Jewish theme. And one day he decided he wanted to paint a picture of the Chofetz Chaim. And he got, you know, there's a general picture that goes around about the Chovetz Chaim. It's on the cover of many of his books. It's the picture that's used by the Chovetz Chaim Heritage Foundation. And so he paints this picture. And when Rabbi Levine came to visit Miami, he said, I know that you lived in the home of Chovetz Chaim. I want, you to show, I want to show you this picture that I painted of him. 
Rabbi Levine said, yes, sure, with pleasure, went to his house, and the man showed him the picture. He said, beautiful picture, wonderful, great. And when they were walking out, Rabbi Levine said to his son-in-law, Rabbi Wine, said, I don't know who that is, but it's not the Chofetz Chaim, that picture. He said, that is a different person. It's not the Chofetz Chaim. And actually, um, Rabbi, the Chofetz Chaim's uh, son wrote a biography about his father, and he writes over there that he never, his father never allowed anybody to take a picture of him. And uh, once he had to go fundraise for the yeshiva, and therefore he needed to get a passport. At that time, uh, Radin, where he was, was under Polish control. Today it's part of Belarus. Um, so he had to get a Polish passport, but he didn't want to have his picture taken for whatever reason. So he sent the sheikhet of Radin to go get the picture. You know, like um, by the non-Jews in, in Poland, all the Jews look the same. You know, they all have the hat and the payers and the beard. So that picture that we that is you know on many of the covers of the books of the Chavetz Chaim and is very popular is actually the Sheikhet of Radin and not the Chavetz Chaim himself. There actually was one picture taken of him. Um, it was a, a, a movie picture. He, uh, he probably didn't know it was being taken when he's walking to the Agudas Israel Convention. So that is probably the most accurate picture. But the one that we all have is not the correct picture of the Chavetz Chaim, which is very interesting to, to note. Um, Rabbi Wan tells a story of uh, a certain member of his community in Monsi. He was also a rabbi in Monsi, and there was an individual who was part of the community. And this individual was a relative of the Chavetz Chaim. It was well known that he was a relative of the Chavetz Chaim. And so one night they decided to have this person speak to the community and talk about his relationship with the Chavetz Chaim and his impression of who the Chavetz Chaim was. And he said that he was born in St. Petersburg. Um, both of his parents died when he was very young, when he was a child. And he had no other family. And people knew that they were related to the Chavetz Chaim. And so they brought him as a young child to the home of the Chavetz Chaim, similar, similar to Rabbi Levine. And he said that his parents were not observant at all. Um, they lived in St. Petersburg, which was the capital of Russia at the time. And St. Petersburg was a metropolitan city, was a modern city. It was cutting edge in many aspects of technology and of living. And he now arrives at this little town, this little village called Radin. There's no running water. There's no roads. There's no internal heating um, in the homes. And, uh, you know, compared to St. Petersburg, this place is really a backward dump. And he was very, very depressed when he came. Obviously, his parents had died. He's now brought to the home of this old man, this old rabbi. And he's very, very unhappy. And the Chavetz Chaim went over to him. And he said to him, what can I do to make you feel better? Is there anything I can do to lift your spirits? And this boy said, well, one of the things that I did when I was in St. Petersburg is that I took lessons in violin. And I was actually very good at playing the violin. And so it would mean a lot to me if I could continue that. And so the Chovetz Chaim inquired and he found that in the next door town there was a non-Jewish lady who gave lessons in violin. And he hired her and she came twice a week to his home to give violin lessons to this young boy. And um, this man said that, you know, you always have in every town you have your from police, you know, those that, that 
are the ones that look around to make sure that everybody's keeping up to their standards. And they came over to the Gadla door to the Chovetz these people, and they said to him, you know, it's not right. It's not appropriate that there's violin being taught in your home. You're the Rosh Hashiva, you're the Rov, you the great leader in Klai Yisrael. It's, it just is, it doesn't seem to be um, correct. Chovetz Chaim remained silent, and he looked at these people, and he said, I just can't work out why it bothers you that the angels in Shemaim are dancing. And he didn't say anything else, and they left his home. And so he had a, a tremendous sensitivity and love for his fellow Jew, and he was not interested in what the politically correct um, view was in the world. He saw others' feelings and knew that that was the main priority and the main focus in his world, in his life. And so, um, interestingly, Rabbi Levine says, talks about um, the fact that the Chaim was a Kohen. Now, it's known, in fact, the Gemara says that Kohanim usually have a bit of a temper. It's part of the DNA. They, they red-blooded. They, they have a temper. And so in all of the books you read about the Chofetz Chaim, it says he was a very gentle man and that he didn't have a temper at all. Rabbi Levine said that the Chofetz Chaim did have a temper. He just learned to manage it and control it. He said he saw many times in the home that when something happened which upset him, which would make him angry, and there are many things that happen in every household that make people angry, and he said, you know, there were many things, there were often things that happened in the community that made him angry. Um, sometimes Rabonim, you know, have situations and circumstances which are very upsetting. And he said when these situations occurred, it's not that the Chofz Chaim didn't have any anger, it's that he dealt with his anger. He managed his anger. And he was able to, um, he said the, the technique that he employed was that he would actually talk to himself. He would say to himself, don't be angry, Yisrael Meir. Don't let your anger um, control you in the situation. Rabbi Levin said he heard him saying those words to himself. He said, what benefit would there be if you got angry right now? How would it help you deal with this problem and this issue? And so that is the real tzaddik. The real tzaddik is not somebody who's like a malach, like an angel. who doesn't get angry at all. It's somebody who gets angry but knows how to deal with his anger and knows how to control it appropriately. And that's a great lesson for all of us in our lives in uh, how to deal with situations that we might be unfavorable. But, of course, we get angry. That's normal. That's a normal human reaction. But we need to control the anger as the Chovetz Chaim did so, so well. Um, another story that Rabbi Levin tells, an incredible story, is that the Chovetz Chaim, um, he, one year in the yeshiva, he actually was never the Rosh Hashiva. He, he always had other Rosh Hashiva. Um, but he was, he founded the yeshiva, he ran the yeshiva. Um, it really was his yeshiva. Um, so at this time, when this incident took place, Rav Naftali Trop, who was one of the great Talmudim of Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, was the Rosh Hashiva. And um, on Tzom Gedalia, which is just after Rosh Hashanah, the day after Rosh Hashanah, so the Chavetz Chaim gets up in the yeshiva and he bangs on the shtender and he says, I would like to say something. So all the boys sat down, of course, to listen to him. 
And he said, the town next to ours, there was a certain little town next to Radin, he said, they have a mikveh in the town, but the mikveh is not in a good state, and it needs repair desperately. And um, money needs to be raised in order for the repair to take place. Um, and I would like one of you to volunteer, one of the students to volunteer, to go and daven Yom Kippur in the shul of that little shtetl, of that little town, and make a appeal and tell the people of the town how important it is that their mikveh is operating and functioning and that everybody should contribute to paying for the repair of the mikveh, which is critical and vital for Jewish life in that town. Um, and so, and then he sat down the Chavaz Chaim. So he, he put out the request for a volunteer who would do this important and big mitzvah. Um, the next day, Rav Naftali Trop was giving a shir in the yeshiva, and it was a shir on a very, very high level in Gomorrah. He spoke about a machloikas of Rashi and Toysus, which is often um, the style of shiurim in Gomorrah, is that Rashi says one thing and understands the Gomorrah in a particular way, and Toysus, who were the grandchildren of Rashi, would understand, perhaps understood the Gomorrah, very often understand differently to the way Rashi does. And so the, the shir was discussing the different perspectives that Rashi and Toysus had with regards to this shir. And um, one boy went over to the Chavetz Chaim after the shir and said, I don't really understand what Toysus is saying. And Toysus is often very difficult to understand. And he had a discussion with the Chavetz Chaim. He asked the Chavetz Chaim to explain the Toysus to him, which the Chavetz Chaim did. And he had questions and they spoke about the questions and they spoke in learning for quite a few minutes. And then after he was happy and the Chavetz Chaim had explained it very clearly to him, he said to the Chavetz Chaim turned to him and said, you were in shul yesterday, you heard my request, um, would you perhaps, maybe you would go to that town on Yom Kippur and uh, help raise funds for the mikveh. And this boy turned to the Chavetz Chaim and he said, Rebbe, I have to be in yeshiva for Yom Kippur, I, I just can't do it, I want to be in yeshiva. And the Chavetz Chaim turned around and he he motioned to spit on the ground and he said, so much for your toysfus. And Rabbi Levine said that he always remembered that, that the Chobetz Chaim's care for Klal Yisrael was paramount. For him, you know, to learn the Toysos was, was one thing, but it was a complete contradiction not to have care and not to um, do something about a need within the Jewish people, a need within Klal Yisrael, which is such a, a great example of, you know, it's not just about the learning and the understanding deep Torah clearly, which is obviously a great level and something that every Jew should do, but equally important, if not more important, is the needs of Klai Yisrael, is the situation that Jews found themselves in, is the doing our utmost to help them in every way we can. Uh, another great example of this is um, the Chavetz Chaim, amongst his 23 Sforim, he wrote a sefer called Nidche Yisrael, which was a sefer which was specifically written for Jews in America that were having to go to work on Shabbos. Now, many people had, of course, written many sorim about being Shomer Shabbos, about not working on Shabbos, which, are, of course, is essential and is very important, and we shouldn't work on Shabbos, and we all should keep Shabbos, and we shouldn't do Malacha on Shabbos. Uh, of course, that is vital and important. But the Chovetz Chaim understood that there were many thousands of Jews that had left Eastern Europe from 1880 to 1920. There were two million Jews 
that left Eastern Europe and went to the shores of the United States. And many of them were forced to work on Shabbos. It was a, a six-day week. And if they didn't work on Shabbos, they, they were told – if they didn't come on Shabbos, they were told not to come back on, on Monday. Of course, it's a terrible thing and it's a, it's a horrible situation and it's untenable for Klaeso. But the Chavetz Chaim knew that is what the reality was and many of them were doing so. And so he wrote a Sefer to show Jews that if they were forced to work on Shabbos, that they should only be over the Rabbonans and not the Arises. And he showed them how certain things would would not be a prohibition to rise, a Torah prohibition of breaking Shabbos. So he, he was very much in touch with Klai Yisrael and very much saw the needs and the concerns of Klai Yisrael, which really describes uh, the kind of person that he was. He was a very humble individual. He wore a coat that the Polish uh, peasantry used to wear. He never wore a coat and a hat of a Rosh Hashiva. Um, he was uh, far foot. So if you saw him, Rabbi Levine said, if you saw him in the street, you saw him walking in the street, so you would um, not think twice, think that this was a very ordinary, simple person who was unassuming and had no real um, no real impact. But really, this little man who dressed as a regular person was the most influential, influential Jew in the world at the time. And all the questions of Klai Yisrael were coming to him. And he, he was really conducting the affairs of the Jewish people, this very simple, unassuming individual. And so he really is the great example of the of somebody, of, of the person who is humble and who is not looking for glory and honor and prestige and recognition, who serves Hashem with a genuine sincerity and love and who really as a result of doing that properly, changes the world and has a tremendous impact on the world. And here we are, 90 years later, talking about this great person who who conducted himself in such a humble way, yet had such a great impact and such a great um, effect on the world. There's a, a famous story about the Chovetz Chaim um, when he actually um, was raising money for the yeshiva. What happened here? In, in Lithuania, um, the very often, unfortunately, there were fires in the towns because the towns were wooden. Most of the houses, most of the buildings were made of wood and uh, people didn't have, there was no electricity. The way in the freezing cold winter, they would heat themselves was with fire and with coals and often there were fires and often once there was one little a fire caught a light, so the whole town called a lot. And once that happened in Radin, the yeshiva building actually burns down. So we're going to share an amazing story with you in a few moments about what happened in the aftermath of the fire in Radin. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the great and holy Chovetz Chaim, say 185 years since his birth, and uh, this year is his 90th Yotzat. And there was a famous incident in Radin where, unfortunately, most of the town burnt down, 
including the yeshiva building. And the Chovetz Chaim then wanted to rebuild the yeshiva out of brick, a brick building, which was quite rare and expensive at the time. But he wanted to be in a position where the, every few years the yeshiva would not burn down like the rest of the town. And he went to a very wealthy man, um, and he said to this wealthy man that they need to rebuild the yeshiva, and he would like to rebuild the brick building of the yeshiva. And the wealthy man said to him, um, well, Rabbi, I'd love to help you, but um, I'm not liquid at the moment, which is often what you hear from wealthy people. Um, and he said, um, what I'll do is that I'll, I'll put you in my will. And so the Rav said, okay, thank you very much, and he left. Um, this person made the mistake of dying, and he passed away. And um, uh, the Chofetz Chaim got, got notified that um, this man had, in fact, kept the yeshiva in mind. And he, this man had a, a massive library, an absolutely huge library. And the Chofetz Chaim was informed that he left the library to yeshiva and the money to his children. And the Chovetz Chaim said to Rabbi Levin, he said, I thought this man was smarter than that um, because he should have left the library to his children and the money to Yeshiva. So he was completely dedicated to Klal Yisrael and to building the Jewish people and building Torah in the Jewish people. And uh, when Rabbi Levin spent um, a number of years in the Radin Yeshiva and the Chovetz Chaim Yeshiva, and then when he left, um, he went to study in Kelm under Rav Simcha Zisalziv, who was the altar of Kelm, one of the great Musa yeshivas of Lithuania. And the Chovetz Chaim went over to him. And uh, the Chovetz Chaim had looked after this orphan and had had him in his home and had him in his yeshiva. And he said, Rebbe Lezer, go and talk to the Jewish people. He said to him, the Jewish people need to hear from you. They need to hear from us. You must go and talk to the Jewish people. And Rabbi Levine said there was always a guiding light in his life that he always tried to speak to the Jewish people. So those are some very beautiful stories and anecdotes of who the Chofetz Chaim was and how his worldview was not only to learn Torah and to write many svarim, but also to teach the Jewish people, to reach the Jewish people, to uplift the Jewish people and help them return to their love of Hashem, the observance of the mitzvahs, their connection with the destiny of the Jewish people. And any of the story that you write, you see the love, the sincerity, the, the amazing fire of Torah, but how that is all within the framework and perspective of connecting with God, of having a relationship with God, of, of fulfilling our potential as each individual Jew and the value and importance of each individual Jew and how powerful it is when every Jew does the mitzvahs, when every Jew learns Torah, when every Jew has a relationship with Hashem, so there's nothing more valuable, there's nothing more meaningful, there's nothing more important in the life of every Jew. And such is the incredible legacy of the holy Rav Yishol Meir Kagan HaKohen, the Chofetz Chaim. Okay, so let's end off. Um, it, it is appropriate because this week's parsha we are talking about the um, Kabbalah Satora, the receiving of the Torah in Parsha Yisroi. And uh, so the Chavetz was such an example of how a Torah personality lived. 
The Torah was given to the Jewish people in order that we should live with the Torah. It should impact on who we are. It should change us as people. It should elevate us and and mold us into holy, noble human beings. And no greater example of that than the, the holy Chovetz Chaim. So the, there's a very famous message in this week's Pasha that we see there was a um, – the, the Pasha begins with um, Yisro joining the Jews. Yisro was – Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law. The Pasuk says, V'yishma Yisro, Kohen Midian, Chosen Moshe, and heard Yisro, the Kohen of Midian, who was like the high priest of Midian. Um, he was the father-in-law of Moshe. Es kol Asher Asa Elokim, the Moshe Yisro. He heard everything that Hashem did to Moshe and to the Jewish people. Um Yisro Amo, Ki Hoitzi Hashem Es Yisro Mitzrayim, because Hashem took the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. The Torah says that he heard what happened, that Hashem took the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, and he joined the Jewish people. So Rashi immediately says, Ma shmua shma uva. What was it that Yisrael heard that caused him to come? And he says, Kriyas Yamsuf or Milchemes Amalek. Yisrael heard about Kriyas, Yisrael heard about Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of Yamsuf of the sea, and about the war with Amalek. Now we know that the whole world heard about Kriyas Yamsuf. As the Pasuk says in Shira Sayyam, the Pasuk says, Shamu Amin, Yirgazun, that the people heard and they were regaz, they were agitated. Chil Achaz Yoshve Plashes, and a terror gripped the dwellers of Plashes, which is, uh, uh, Philistia. So, we, we know that it wasn't only Yisrael that heard. The whole world heard. The whole world heard. Shimu Amin, all the nations heard about Kresiyam Suf. The only one to respond to that was Yisrael. He's the only one who came and joined the Jewish people. Why is that? Why did nobody else respond? So it shows us how thick-skinned and obtuse people can be. That we hear about these incredible earth-shattering events. That took place, yet it doesn't affect us. We don't respond to it. It doesn't change who we are and change our life. How come? What's what's the reason for that? And perhaps the answer Rabbi Frain says, the answer to that perhaps can be found in this Gemara that Rashi is quoting. Because Rashi says, Ma, that it's based on the Gemara in Zvachim, Ma Shmua Shma Uba. What did Yisrael hear? And then he came. He didn't just hear it. The hearing caused, resulted in, the consequence of the hearing was the action that he came. And that is the secret. Very often we hear things. Very often there are amazing things that we hear. Amazing things that we see. Amazing things that we experience in our lives. But do we come? Do we actually um, do something about it? Does it result in some sort of action, some sort of movement, some sort of um, some sort of step on our part. Usually not. That's the problem. The problem with all of us is that we allow the inspiration to pass. We don't actually translate the inspiration into a deed, and then it dissipates. Then it disappears. And that is the great lesson over here. Very very powerful lesson is that when we are inspired, and there are many times in our lives where we are all inspired. We see Hashem's hand. The birth of a child, the miraculous birth of a child is just 
insane and incredible. There, there are no words to describe the conception and the development of the fetus and then the birth of the child. It's a little human being in, in the womb. And then it, and, and, and it's made up of the DNA of the parents. It's just unbelievable. And then uh, that's why abortion is regarded as murder according to Jewish law because you've got a, a human being that's growing inside that womb. And then the child is born and it's a living entity now becomes independent of its mother. It's, it's just unbelievable how miraculous with all the features and all the organs and everything it needs to live a life in this world. Quite breathtaking is the birth of a child. And whenever anybody is uh, in the presence of a birth, they all, you know, you just, you, your breath is taken when you see this incredible miracle. So, but we see the miracle do, do anything about it. Sometimes we healed from a serious illness. We see Hashem's hand who's healed us. And brought about through the hands of the doctors an amazing healing for us. Or sometimes we have a, a, a great muzzle, a, a, a deal that we sign and we, you know, it opens up a whole new world to us and, and we succeed in some sort of business endeavor. We see Hashem's hand in our life. But what do we do about it? Do we let that inspiration go or do we translate it into an action? And that's what we see was the success of Yisrael. He saw, he heard, like, but the rest of the world heard as well. But he did something about it. He actually acted on what he heard. And that is a, an important lesson to all of us. We'll, in a moment, talk about two amazing stories um, that illustrate this point very well. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. talking about the greatness of Yisro and he was able to act on the information he received. He heard about the splitting of the sea and he heard about the war with Amalek and most of the world heard about those things too, but they didn't react. Yisro reacted and that's what made him so great. And we need to learn from that and learn to, in our own lives, when we have flashes of inspiration, to actually let them um, filter into our world, into action and change us and cause a proper reaction in our daily living in the way we behave. And there's an amazing story. I don't think we've got time for two. We only got time for one story. But since we've been talking about the Chovetz Chaim, the amazing story about the Chovetz Chaim Yeshiva. One day, the administrator of the Yeshiva received an envelope in the Polish mail with 500 rubles cash in the envelope. Now, even in those days, 100 years ago, that was a rare thing. Um, if you're going to send cash, or today... We can't send anything in the South African, South African post office. It most certainly won't arrive. I'm sure we all have, have stories to tell about it. Um, so you can't certainly send cash today. But in those days, even if you're sending cash, you it would need to be with registered mail. You know, that would be the responsible thing to do rather than just in regular mail. And so the, the, everybody in the yeshiva was quite surprised at just receiving a letter with 500 rubles in cash, which was a lot of money. And the Chavetz Chaim said to the administrator, investigate you know, there was a return address, um, who this is from and, and how this came to be. And so the administrator made contact with that person. And this individual said he was a businessman, a Jewish businessman. And he said, I said to Hashem, if this deal comes through, I'll give 500 rubles to the yeshiva of And he said, the deal came through and it was late in the afternoon. There was no time for me to go to the post office. So I thought to myself, okay, I'll go tomorrow to the post office. And then I'll post the money with registered mail. 
And then he noticed, the man said, that in my mind, I began to rationalize. And I said to myself, oh, you know what? 50 rubles is a big donation to the yeshiva. They'll be happy with 50 rubles. And he said, I saw that I was backing out. At the moment of inspiration, the deal came through and I was going to deliver my commitment. But as time went on, um, I realized that it was going to be very unlikely I was going to do it. If I waited till the next morning, the yeshiva would be lucky to get five rubles from me. So he said, so there and then, at the moment of inspiration, I took the 500 rubles, I put it in the envelope, I put on a stamp and the address to yeshiva and I posted it. Because I knew that if I didn't act immediately, the excitement would die down and I wouldn't act at all. And that's a, it's a great illustration of this principle. That when we see flashes of Hashem's light in this world, and we all do see it, we just have to open our eyes and see Hashem's hand and Hashem's fingerprints everywhere. But there are moments, there are times when it becomes glowingly clear that Hashem is in control and Hashem has done something for us. Immediately we need to act on that inspiration and make sure that we don't lose that moment, that time, but we have to implement something right away, right in the beginning. Yisrael, that's the point of Yisrael. He heard what happened to Klai Yisrael, immediately he went to join Klai Yisrael. He didn't wait for it to die down and to lose that inspiration. And so too we should all do in our lives. And in Mietz Hashem, when we have those flashes, we'll translate them into action, and that will lift us tremendously in our journey of connecting to God and serving God in our lives. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful day.